Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. Well, this is going to be one of those basic foundational Bible studies that literally can be worth its weight in gold. And that's why I'm so glad that you are here because we're going to be discussing spiritual warfare. Now, God has equipped us for battle. But you know, there's a very small percentage of Christians who even have a vague idea what our equipment is, what our weapons are. They've heard what the weapons are. But really, there's a small percentage of Christians who even know how to use these weapons. Now, I want you to look at 1 John 3, verse 8. 1 John 3, verse 8. In fact, the last part of verse 8 says, for the Son of Man came for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, that tells us very clearly why Jesus came. The Son of God came that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, if you'll look right across the page at chapter 4, the last part of verse 17, it says, and as he is, so are we to be in this world. Okay, how are we to be? Well, this tells us very clearly. We're to be exactly like him. We're to be like Jesus. So we can know then that one of the ways that we're to be is destroying the works of the devil. That's one of the things we need to be doing. Now, one major mistake that Christians make is that they try to overcome the enemy by their own strength, by natural methods. But you know, in our own strength, we're no match for the enemy. He's been around for a long time. He's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. He's the deceiver. And he knows our weaknesses and he deceives us until he brings us to the place where he can steal, kill, and destroy if he possibly can. That's his go. And God knew that we were no match for the enemy in our own strength. And that's why he has provided us with weapons. He's provided us with spiritual armor, spiritual protection, so that we can go about doing what Christ was doing when he was on this earth. We can go about destroying the works of the enemy. Now, it's a spiritual battle. The battle's in the unseen realm. It's a spiritual battle. We have spiritual weapons and we have spiritual armor. Now we're going to find that the fallout, the repercussions of the battle, will show up in the natural realm. But it still is going to be a battle that has to be fought in the spiritual realm if we're really going to win, if we're ultimately going to win. Now every argument that you've ever had, every fight that you've ever fought, every fear that you've ever experienced... Every temptation that you've ever encountered now was a spiritual battle, whether you knew it or not. Every harassment, no matter how many actual people were involved in that battle, it still was a spiritual enemy that was behind it. And because flesh and blood people are involved, man has thought down through the ages that it was a physical battle. And so that's why he's tried over and over to fight that battle in the physical round. But it's not going to work. That will not work. Now, when problems arise, what we've done through the ages, we've run to positive thinking, and that's a physical weapon, and ultimately that's not going to win the battle because this is a spiritual battle. We've used our own means of escaping or ignoring the situation, kind of hoping that it's going to go away. But you know what? That's a physical way of attacking the the problem, and that's not going to work. When our battle comes through another person, what do we do? Well, we use 
our best arguments. We debate the issue and we try to justify ourselves. But no matter how good our opinion might be, no matter how good we are at debating and arguing and fighting in the natural, we're going to find that it's not going to work because Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. No matter how much flesh and blood is involved. You might have a lot of flesh and blood people involved here, but the enemy is still behind all of our battles. And the enemy is always pitting husband against wife. He's always pitting neighbor against neighbor and brother against brother because if he can keep us fighting among ourselves, that's exactly what he's after. See, as long as we're fighting among ourselves, then we're never going to think to join forces to fight him God's way. We're going to be too busy fighting each other. And that's the tactic of the enemy. That's what he's wanting. And while we're reacting now to each other, all the while then, Satan is winning a battle. Now, he's ultimately not going to win the war. But he certainly can win battles in our lives. And he can keep us from being an overcomer in those areas. Now, when Paul says your fight's not against flesh and blood, then no matter what the encounter may be, no matter how many people are involved, no matter how physical the battle appears to be, it's a spiritual battle and only our spiritual weapons are going to overcome. Now I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10. Now this is a, a, a good warfare scripture and I'm sure you all have this already marked in your Bible, but it doesn't hurt to have it reviewed. We need to review it over and over. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Okay, even though we're walking in flesh and blood bodies and we're walking in a flesh and blood world, we're, we don't war there. The Bible tells us that over and over. Our weapons are not earthly weapons. They're not physical weapons. They're not the weapons that we're accustomed to using. You know, what are we accustomed to using? You know, we're accustomed to using physical weapons like angry words. You know, that, that's what we're used to. We're, we're used to using defensive words and justifying ourselves. And, and, and sometimes we even use tears and, and, and we use that to try to win our battles. We use manipulation. Even children have learned how to manipulate. You know, we've learned to use self-pity and, and, and to get sympathy to try to win our battles. And I could name on and on, but these are fleshly, soulish weapons and that is not the weapons that God's referring to here. And that's why he says in verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not fleshly weapons. He goes on to say that our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Okay, our weapons, the weapons that God has given to us are weapons that have been divinely empowered. See, God specifically created these weapons so that we can fight a spiritual enemy. Without these weapons, we would be, we'd be helpless. But with these weapons that God's given to us, we can fight a spiritual enemy. Now, we're never going to ultimately be an overcomer with tears or angry words or manipulation. We may think we win a battle here and there, but ultimately we're never going to win. Some psychologists will say, you know, we'll just get that anger out. Well, it's true that we don't need to hold anger in. And blowing up may make us feel better in the flesh, but we're not going to accomplish one thing that way. We're not going to have a victory when we do it that way. 
Now let's say that the enemy tempts us with frustration. Things go wrong and we're frustrated. I don't know anyone that hasn't had a day when they were frustrated and it seemed as though everything was going wrong. But don't think that those frustrations are just happen chance because that's a part of the tactics of the enemy. That's a part of the schemes of the enemy so that he can wear you down. But when we give in to that frustration, then eventually Satan's going to see to it that another person comes in on the scene. Now, they may or may not have had anything to do with your frustration, but we're going to find out that at that point, when another person comes around, we need some place to vent our frustration. Have you ever found out that when you're frustrated, the biggest temptation in the world is to find some place to vent that frustration? So we're tempted then when there's another person around, and many times it's someone that we're closest to, we're tempted to want to vent that frustration at that person simply because they're available. That's just human nature. Now if we fall for that temptation, then that other person has the choice to either operate in the spirit or they have the choice to react in the flesh. Now if they react in the flesh, what do we have? We've got a battle, don't we? A battle's going. And most of the time, we never even stop to consider that it was a spiritual battle that was started by a spiritual enemy. We don't even think about that. Now, the manifestation of the battle shows up in the physical realm, so we have to stop and realize that it's a spiritual battle that can only be won with our spiritual gifts, our spiritual weapons. Now, don't be deceived by the fact that other flesh and blood people are involved. Don't let that deceive you. Don't be deceived by the fact that it can surely appear to be very physical and very natural. Now, Jack and I have had our share of reacting in the flesh like everybody else, and we've done it wrong, you know, at times. But when either one of us has handled it in the spirit, we've found out that it works, and it works every time. You'd think that we'd never do it wrong after we found out how many times that it works. But I remember one evening, Jack came in pretty late, and it was time for us to be somewhere. In fact, we were late. And I had been frustrated over some things that had happened that day. And so as he came in, the first thing I did was to start fussing at him for being late. You knew we were going. Why didn't you stop in time? And I was letting him know that he was late, like he didn't already know that he was late. And I was telling him how it was going to be embarrassing to walk in late and all these things. And it would have been so easy for him to have gotten angry and reacted or tried to justify himself. But this time he came over, he put his arms around me, and he apologized for being late, and he started taking authority over the enemy. And he started commanding that frustration to leave, and then he started praying for the peace to come on me. Well, for just a moment, it made me angry because I thought, does he have to be spiritual when I'm being angry, you know? But, you know, immediately something started happening, and it was almost like I could feel like a plug had come out, and that frustration just drained out. And the Lord showed me so clearly there that these things are real. These are not just our emotions. When we take authority over these demonic spirits, they literally will have to leave. And it is just like something leaving your body. But it's easy now during those times to forget that it is a spiritual battle because the circumstances are so natural. Those circumstances feel so real. But if you will remember that it's a spiritual battle, then every time you fight it God's way, every time you fight it with a spiritual weapon, you're going to find that it does work. 
And it's especially going to work if both parties are going to fight it spiritually together. Now that's where I'm wanting us to come. I'm wanting us to come to the place where husbands and wives and friends and neighbors, where we learn how to fight this spiritual battle and we learn to fight it God's way and we fight it together. Now I'm going to give you just a little hint here. If you're the only one using the spiritual weapons, then make sure that you're aiming those weapons at the enemy and not at the other person. Because it can appear to the other person that you're coming against them when you're using those weapons. Now, I know the other person may seem like the enemy at times, and it, it can do that. But the Bible tells us that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Now, we don't have authority over other people. Our authority is over the enemy. And God spoke this to my spirit as I was praying on this Bible study. He said, the secret is to fight shoulder to shoulder and never nose to nose. And as I thought on that, I thought, yes, if we can remember that. We need to fight shoulder to shoulder and not nose to nose, even with little children. Let's say that your child is in rebellion. If you can take your child and sit that child down and say, I'm going to take authority over this spirit of rebellion that's giving you problems, and I want you to help me. I don't want to do this by myself. I need you to help me because together we can run the enemy off. Then if you can get them to repeat with you and to say, I take authority over this spirit of rebellion or, or hurt or disappointment or whatever they might be facing. If you can get them to repeat after you, not only then are you taking care of the immediate problem, but you're also teaching your children how to fight the enemy God's way. You're teaching them spiritual warfare. And see, it's not enough for us to just take authority in our families. We need to teach our children so that when they are out and they have their own families, they've already been taught. They already know how to fight these battles. But remember, keep in mind, not nose to nose, but shoulder to shoulder, whether it be with your child or whether it be with somebody else. Okay, I want you to look again at verse 4. It says the spiritual weapons now were created with divine power. They were divinely empowered for the destruction of fortresses. Okay, what is a fortress? Okay, the word fortress now simply means a demonic stronghold. Now, a demonic stronghold is any area in your life where you don't seem to be able to get the victory. That's what a demonic stronghold is. Any area in your life where you struggle and you have a hard time getting the victory. Now remember, these strongholds start in the mind because look at verse 5. We're destroying speculations. We're destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Verse 5 is talking about the mind. The battleground always starts in the mind. Now, it can very quickly begin to affect our emotions, and it can affect our will, the decisions that we make. It can even affect our physical body. But the battle is always either won or lost in the mind. So we're to use these spiritual weapons now to destroy speculations. Now, speculation, that's just an idea that doesn't line up with the Word of God. When we start speculating... It's something that doesn't line up with the Word of God. King James says vain imaginations. And it goes on to say that we're to pull down every lofty thing. What's a lofty thing? It's something that's been raised up. It's something that has raised itself up or exalted itself above what God says. Did you know that a sickness can be a lofty thing? Because, see, God's Word says that Jesus bore your sicknesses and he bore your diseases. But what does sickness say? Sickness says no. No, he didn't. You're sick. 
Okay, that's a lofty thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God that says you're healed. Now, we're to use these spiritual weapons to destroy every idea, every thought that might pass through your mind, anything that raises itself up to contradict the Word of God, and we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're to start making our mind think God's thoughts, always. And we can do that. If we'll just start watching what goes through our minds, God said it was an exchange system. We can start taking every negative thought that contradicts the Word of God and exchange it for a thought from God's Word, a promise from God's Word. And that's what a renewed mind is. It's a mind that has been renewed. It's new. It's thinking now, not the old way, but the new way. It's thinking like God thinks. But the only way we can do that is if we're willing to start using our spiritual weapons. Now, a friend of mine shared a vision that God had given her, and I thought it was really worth repeating. She said she was in this big house, and she saw this magnificent weapon collection that had been displayed on this huge wall. And she said the owner was just proudly showing off all the weapons. She said the guns were polished, and they, they were just shining, and she said the knife blades were just glistening. And the people were there admiring the collection, and the owner was so excited, he was describing each piece of the collection. And she said it was in perfect display condition. But she said certainly this physical enemy broke in, and he attacked the home. And she said in the vision, she saw that the owner of that magnificent weapon collection was just helpless because those weapons were beautifully displayed. But they were worthless against the intruder because he wasn't able to use them. They were nailed to the wall. They were up there for display. Now, I want you to hear the analogy. I know you can see this, but when we become Christians, we're equipped with a magnificent collection of spiritual weapons. These have been given to us. And we can talk about the power that we possess. We can talk about all these victories that we have in Jesus Christ. And we can do that from morning till night. But you know, when the enemy comes in, if we're not using those weapons, if they're nailed to the wall, if it's display only, then they're not going to do us one bit of good because they're nailed to the wall. We can brag all day about being filled with the Spirit and we can convince everybody about how wonderful the Spirit-filled life is and, and how much it's needed to have victory. But you know, when the actual battle comes, if it's just something that we've talked about, it might as well be nailed to the wall. We've displayed it, we've talked about it, but it's not a weapon now that we've learned how to use defensively to come against the enemy. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I'm not purposely not using the weapons. I just, I really don't know what all the weapons are. I don't know how to use them. Okay, we're going to name this week and next week, we're going to name seven of the spiritual weapons. And I'm going to give you some examples and maybe we'll talk about a hint or two of how they can be more beneficial. Now, these are just seven ways or seven weapons that God has given to us to use against a spiritual enemy, to do battle with a spiritual enemy. I want you to think about the modern armies of the world. Most soldiers have been equipped with not just one weapon. When they go into battle, they've usually been given maybe a rifle. Sometimes there's a bayonet on the end of the rifle. Maybe they've been given a pistol. Or, uh, some of them might be given a machine gun. Some of them would be given hand grenades. Some of them tear gas. They're equipped with several different kinds of weapons. And these are issued to them to use for different types of fighting. Okay, God's done exactly the same thing. He has equipped us with various kinds of spiritual weapons 
to fight the devil in different circumstances. There's different circumstances in which you'll find yourself. Okay, now, you're familiar with all of these. You could probably name every one that I'm going to give you, but we just need to hear them and become more familiar with them so that we'll start using them. The number one spiritual weapon is the name of Jesus. This is the all-purpose primary weapon. Now, the name of Jesus is a powerful weapon for taking authority. It's your authority-taking weapon. All of power and all authority has been given to us in that name. Now, I want you to turn to Luke 10, 19. Because he's given us power and authority over the enemy. If there's any question in your mind as to whether you or not you have power over the enemy, then that has to be settled. Because if we don't have that settled inside of ourselves, we're never going to use our authority. So if you don't know this scripture, then you need to memorize the scripture. Because in Luke 10, verse 19, Jesus is speaking here and he says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon the serpents and the scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. I've given you authority to tread on all the powers of the enemy. You need to circle that word all. And then the next phrase, I want you to underline it, circle it, whatever you have to do, and nothing shall injure you. I've given you the authority to do what? To tread upon how much of the enemy? All of the enemy, and nothing's going to hurt you. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you really believe that? See, do we believe that we have authority over the enemy and nothing will hurt us? If we really believe that, then we should be using that authority all the time. That should be something that every day we use our authority. See, we're living in a day and an age when we absolutely cannot afford to leave home without our weapons. We cannot afford that. There's a lot of Christians who think that they can't leave home without their physical weapons. They think they've got to have their physical weapon if they go out of town or wherever. But most of us have never stopped to think that we should never get out of bed in the mornings without our spiritual weapons. Now, I've just got to tell you this funny story. When the kids were little, we took Jack's mom and dad on a vacation to California. We pulled a camp trailer. And we had this friend who just insisted that we take his pistol for protection. And he offered it several times. And so finally, Jack said, okay, we'll take it. And he hid it under the mattress. Now, the kids were little. And it just turned out to be a disaster because Jack's dad had gotten to the point where he was pretty mixed up by that time. And Jack couldn't sleep at nights because he was so afraid his dad would get a hold of that pistol. And so every night, it just became an albatross around our neck. Well, that was bad enough, but as we were coming back through the Arizona desert on the way home, it was just freezing cold. And we, we hadn't seen a car for hours, and finally we came upon this stalled car, and there was a woman with a couple of children out in the road trying to flag us down. Well, Jack stopped, but he pulled way, way on down the highway because he wanted time to be able to get out of the car and get back there to the trailer and get his pistol before they got up to us. Well, he had been driving with bare feet because he wanted to stay awake, and so he jumped out, and when he did, he came down on these goat heads, if you know what goat heads are. They hurt so bad. And so anyway, he's stopping, and he's groaning and going on and trying to pull the goat heads, and he finally got back there to the trailer, and he got that gun out from under the mattress, and he stuck it under his shirt, under the waistband of his pants, and he said it was like an ice cube. He said it stuck to his skin. And by this time now, they had run up the highway, and we couldn't believe how many came. We couldn't believe. I mean, there were so many children, and 
they all piled in the car and they were two and three deep. You know, we said, well, we can't get you on the car. And they said, oh, we'll make it. And so they just stacked up in the car. I think they had been freezing. And so they were so glad somebody stopped. Well, Jack said he couldn't take the gun out without their seeing it. And he said if he did, he knew it would scare them to death. And so he had to drive about 100 miles now with that ice cold gun barrel there down his pants. And so anyway, it was so bad. He said that he felt like all the way that God was just laughing, saying, well, I guess you'll rely on my weapons next time. <laughs> That's so. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a gun, but that can't be our source. That cannot be our source, because if it is, we're in trouble. See, God has to be our source. His weapons have to be our source. So we need to be honest with ourselves. Do we have as much faith in our spiritual weapons as we do in our physical weapons? That's something that each one of us have to, we have to answer that for ourselves. See, we need to ask ourselves, if we found ourselves in a 747 plane and a hijacker took over, would it even cross our minds to take the name of Jesus and take authority? Would it even cross our minds to get a group together to use our authority and fight shoulder to shoulder? Is that something that would even cross our minds? We're living in a day and age when that needs to be the very first thing that comes to our minds. That needs to be the very first thing that we're thinking about. Now, I want you to hear me because this is so important. There are some people who allow vain imaginations to fill their minds and what they do, they play out these horror scenes of what they would do if their mate died, if they got cancer, or if some other tragedy struck. I know people who play those kinds of things out in their minds all the time. Listen, don't ever fantasize about what the devil says that he'll do to you. Don't ever fantasize. That's an open door to the enemy. Now, if you're going to play something out in your mind, then play out a situation where you take authority and where you do it God's way. I think we need to come to a place where we start picturing ourselves not picturing ourselves after Satan has already given us a blow. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about picturing ourselves as men and women of God full of faith and power operating in so much of God's authority that no matter what comes up, we're able to take authority over it. We need to picture ourselves in different situations that might come along and see ourselves taking God's word, taking the authority, and doing exactly what he's told us to do. Now, if we'll think on those kinds of things until we feel comfortable with them, until we feel excited about it, we're going to find ourselves then operating in that authority every day. But we've got to become comfortable with it. And I don't particularly want to go through something so that I'll have a testimony. You know, they say that you don't like the test to get the money afterwards. Well, I don't particularly want to go through that. But I still think we need to prepare ourselves and picture ourselves in different situations where we are using the authority, where we are doing exactly what God's told us to do. See, he's given us his name. We're his bride. When a man marries, he gives his name to his bride. And that's her name to be able to use from that day forth. And that's what Jesus has done. He's given us his name forever, his power of attorney. Now, I've heard so many testimonies where people were faced with different crises and they didn't have time to do anything except speak forth the name of Jesus. And they did it in faith and the situation changed. We had this man come years ago and he gave his testimony and I always think about it and I get excited about it. Uh, his name was, I never have been able to pronounce his last name, but it's Billy and he spelled his last name P-Y-A-T-T. -T. I don't know whether you've heard his testimony or not. 
But he was speeding home one night after he had had a meeting. He was an evangelist, and he said this big logging truck and trailer was coming toward him down the highway. And he said uh, just a few yards down the highway, he saw the trailer tip. And when it did, the chain broke, and all these big sequoia logs just started rolling out all over the highway in front of him. And he said he didn't have time to do anything except just say the name of Jesus. And he said he just shouted out, Jesus. And when he did, he said then he closed his eyes waiting for the impact. And he said there was no impact. And he said when he opened his eyes, the highway was clear in front of him. And he looked around, and there were all the logs completely across the highway behind him. Now the driver of the logging truck was out and he hollered across the logs to him and he said, how did you get over there? You were in front of me when the chain broke. And Billy hollered back and he said, God must have done it. And he said, the trucker yelled back and he said, it had to be God. And so all Billy could say is, I'm so thankful that he saw it too or he said, I would have imagined the whole thing. But he said, next time, I'm not gonna close my eyes. He said, I'm gonna holler Jesus and I'm gonna keep my <laughs> eyes open <laughs> and see how he does it. But you know, the name of Jesus is a powerful weapon to use against the enemy attacks. And we need to think of it as our authority-taking weapon. Okay, number two, the blood is a spiritual weapon. Now, where the name of Jesus is a weapon for taking authority, the blood is a weapon of protection. It's our covering. Now, there's power in the blood. We've said that. We sing the songs. There's power in the blood. The very covenant under which we live was consummated by the blood. Now, you've heard people say, I plead the blood of Jesus. And you may have wondered, what do they mean, I plead the blood of Jesus? Well, that's just simply a sort of a religious term for spiritually appropriating the blood. That's what they're saying. I'm appropriating the blood to this situation. Now, if we believe that, that blood is a covering through which the destroyer can't come. Now, in the Old Testament, when they put the blood on the doorpost, they could see the blood. It was a physical thing, and the destroyer couldn't come in. Now, under the new covenant, it's spiritual, but it's still real in the spiritual realm. We may not be able to see it, but I tell you what, the devil sees it. The enemy sees it. Now, if you care to exercise faith for it, then that blood can be put as a covering over your children. Every day, you should be covering your children with the blood of Jesus. You need to be covering your mate. You need to be covering yourself, your home. Every time... We leave the house. We say, Lord, I thank you that there's a blood covering over our home, over our property, over everything. And it's gotten to the place where the grandchildren, we don't say it immediately the minute we're leaving. They'll say, Bumby, you didn't put the blood. <laughs> and it, your children need to be taught this. I try to remember always to lay hands on my appliances and I pray the blood over these appliances so they'll have a long life. See, the blood is a covering of protection through which the enemy can't come. Now, our sins, our doubts, cause us to be out in enemy territory, causes us to be open and vulnerable to every attack. And that's why we need to realize that the blood is so precious because 1 John 1, 7 tells us that the blood will cleanse us even from the repercussions of sin if we'll truly repent and turn. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I've just done so many things wrong. It's too late for me. No, it's never too late. The blood is so powerful that if we repent, if we turn and go back to the Lord, then the blood even covers and cleanses the sin and the repercussions. Also, the blood drives away evil spirits. Back when we were meeting in the body shop, 
there was a man who started going from church to part church and he would go into the churches and stand up and start causing a real disturbance and so the different pastors were calling one another and they were saying oh he was at our church last night and it was a disaster and so one night he came in and he sat on the back row of the church and even the people who didn't know that he had come in said that they just felt this oppression well the leadership prayed and they felt like God told them to go and get bread and wine and serve communion now, they hadn't intended to serve communion that night, but the minute that the communion came out, he just got up and he left. Didn't say a word and left. We had never known of his leaving a church before without causing a disturbance. But you'll be surprised how many false prophets can't stand the blood because it's a weapon. So there's such power in taking the blood and the body of Jesus in communion. It drives away evil spirits. Many times people have been sick and they've taken communion and it's driven the sickness out of their body. Because communion is not only a reminder of what Jesus did, but it's like actively appropriating that covenant. When you take that communion, it's like signing the covenant all over again with the Lord. Okay, so the blood now covers, it protects, it cleanses, it drives away evil spirits. Okay, number three, the word of God is a spiritual weapon. The Bible calls it a sword. Now, this weapon is so wonderful for changing us. It changes circumstances. It removes these fortresses, these long-term situations that we've put up with. The Word of God is such a wonderful spiritual tool for breaking down those strongholds. Now, when the enemy comes with harassments or maybe just a crisis situation, we're going to have little daily crisis, and that's when we use the name of Jesus. That's when we use the blood and take care of them. But... Those fortresses now, those demonic strongholds that have been built up in our minds now, maybe like fear. Some people have fear of heights or fear of flying. Some people have rejection that they've dealt with all of their lives or maybe lust or bitterness. Well, the word is such a good tool. This is a spiritual weapon, a sword that will literally then in the spiritual realm start cutting down those strongholds and getting rid of those strongholds. See, it's the word that washes and renews our mind. In Ephesians 5, 26, it says the husband can wash with the water of the word. He can literally cleanse his wife. He can take care of her. Okay, in the same way as we take the word and we say these promises and these scriptures over and over, it's like washing our mind with the water of the word until it literally washes and cleanses those things out of those strongholds away from us. It drives away temptation. This is what Jesus used when he was faced with temptation. He used the word of God. Now, if you'll look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I'm giving you some familiar scriptures, but there's still the scripture that lets you know about this particular spiritual warfare, spiritual weapon. And so Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any other two-edged sword, and piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Okay, notice it says the word of God is living and active. The word of God is alive. The words of your Bible have life in them. You can take an encyclopedia or you can take a dictionary and you've got a lot of words on the page, but there's not life in that. But the word of God has life in it. It's alive. It's energizing. It's full of power. Angela had gotten her first pair of gold earrings when, right before she went to ORU and she was out on the practice field and they were playing a game. 
and she lost one of the earrings and so the kids were all searching for it and they searched from there back to the the college and so she called that night and we all got together and decided that we were going to quote this particular scripture nothing hidden that'll not be made known nothing covered that'll not be revealed and it was days and weeks that we were quoting that and she said one morning she woke up and felt like she was supposed to go back to the lost and found now she'd been there several times before but this particular time, the guy had mowed the grass, and from this big mower, he said that he had just looked down and he had seen the earring in the grass. Now, I know that he wouldn't, I just feel sure he would have never seen it, except that scripture was being quoted, and it was a spiritual weapon, and it literally caused things to happen in the spiritual realm. It's alive, it's energizing, it's full of power. There's power in the word if we don't negate it. There's power in it because it's a spiritual weapon. It has been divinely empowered for us to change situations. Now, if you have something in your life, a serious need, or maybe just things that you're believing for for your children, write a covenant. Take the word of God that's full of power and write these scripture promises and confess those promises because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Psalm 91, the first times that I confessed it, I didn't believe it. I thought, there's no way I can believe this. This is so foreign to my thinking. But the more we say it and the more we say it, then all of a sudden that word gets on the inside of us and it becomes alive. It becomes rhema on the inside of us. Now you've heard this before, but when my little niece, Julie, was thrown from a horse, well, by the time I got out to the hospital, they had already sent her to Fort Worth. And when I got to Fort Worth, well, the doctors were saying, there's just no hope. Her skull was completely just like an eggshell, and they didn't expect her to live through the night. And so the parents were asking, you know, about brain damage. And so what the doctor said was, you know, parents are always asking about brain damage. Listen, we don't even know we can get her through the night. But yes, if she lives through the night, there will be brain damage. And there will be hearing loss. And we don't know about her eyes. We know there's going to be loss of eyesight because of the uh, extensive damage. And... I tell you what, those parents were confessing Psalm 91 and they were confessing Psalm 91 and they were confessing Psalm 91 and they weren't listening to what the doctor said. They were confessing what the Word of God said over and over and over. There were some people in the hospital who had been thrown from a horse and it had been like eight months and they were just now learning how to walk again. In seven days, Julie walked out of that hospital. No brain damage, no loss of hearing, no loss of eyesight, and it was God. It was God's word. And God has given us these wonderful weapons and it's just such a shame. I think the most, the saddest thing in the world would be that if we get to heaven and he said, oh, you had all this available to you, why didn't you use it? You wouldn't have had to have put up with some of the things you've put up with if you had just used what I gave you. And I don't want to stand in front of God and have him say, oh, I gave you everything you needed and you didn't use it. I want us to learn these things. I want us to learn how to walk in them. I want us to be victorious. That is the desire of my heart. And we've been given this. Now that's as far as we can go tonight, but we'll start there next week and finish these up. But Father, thank you. With all of our hearts, Lord, we thank you for the, these weapons that have been divinely empowered to pull down strongholds. We thank you for it, Lord. I'm asking, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you'll cause this to come alive on the inside of us. Father, help us not to have vain imaginations and imagine things that the enemy could do to us, but, Father, help us to take your word and picture ourselves in victory, taking authority in different situations, taking authority until we have victory over the enemy. In Jesus' name. 
Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.